Kiss me, fat boy. 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 Warning: The following podcast contains explicit language and themes. It may also contain subject matter that can be triggering to some individuals, so please listen with caution. Spoiler alert, this podcast is full of spoilers for the named work for the podcast, plus cross-references throughout the Stephen King universe. Speaking of Stephen King, we are just a fan podcast. We are not affiliated with Mr. King on any level or in any manner with any of the, the entities that release his work. And the opinions expressed on this podcast are not necessarily those of the sponsors. Now, um, today we're going to do Lissy's story. Now, I got super excited. I just randomly was looking at Audible, trying to figure out which book I'm going to read next. And uh, I saw this thing that said Lissy's stories, and I had a picture of Julian Moore on it. And I was like, wow, this is this looks kind of nice. Um, and I read the description. And um, I thought, well, this looks very like something that's interesting, you know. I thought it would be deeper than it was. I thought it was going to be part of this, this weird universe um, that Stephen King has created and cross-referenced in a lot of his books. And I think there's a little bit of it. But I did listen to the Audible version. And at the end of the Audible version... There was, um, of course, the author's note explaining some stuff. And there was also a brief interview about him putting this on the Apple, um, streaming on the Apple service. So he wrote, he actually wrote the episodes and changed them and explained his reasons for doing that. And I can respect that. But um, I don't know. I can't wait. One of the reasons when I saw that it was Clive Owen and Julian um, Moore, I was like, oh my gosh, I have like such a huge crush on Clive Owen, just so you know. Um, I hope that when I watch this, I don't take it away. But the uh, story is about Scott and uh, Lisey, and Scott is this um, like $20 million estate because he passed away two years ago, but he's an author. He's just like this great fiction author. Um, he ends up with, uh, you know, like basically very parallel to like Stephen King's career. And Stephen King did say he was inspired by this idea of when his wife, um, took everything out of his study to have it painted, all the journals and the magazines and the, um, books and all that kind of stuff. He just, and the plaques and the awards. And he thought, wow, this is like I'm dead or something, but because he had almost died of double pneumonia a while back. And I can really uh, feel him on that one because I had, didn't have double pneumonia. I had the left um, lung was uh, halfway full when I got COVID. Um, before they knew what COVID was, it was like when it just first started hitting the United States, I was like patient, patient zero in my area. And, uh, Anyway, they didn't know what to do with me. They just treated me with different medicines and everything. And, you know, almost dying gives you PTSD. It did for me. Um, I've worked on it, though. I'm just saying that, you know, I can understand his feeling, like, freaking out like that. So this was kind of his way of working that out, I think. But also, 
it just gave him another idea for a story. And um, he also made sure to clarify that the wives, not the wives, the wife, her um, sisters, that his wife is not Lisey. He is not Scott. Um, the sisters are not his sister-in-laws or his his aunts or anything like that. He's like, this is just all fiction. Um, it is it started by an inspiration, but this isn't like me writing basically me. This isn't like a secret version of me. Like, I'm not trying to explain to you who I am, what I do. This isn't anything. These are not characters that are based on us. The idea came from an incident that happened to him and a, a thought he had about it, but it's not it's not him, you know? And I think it's interesting because the first thing I thought was, I wonder, before I knew this, because this is just me listening to it, was I wonder if this is him asking himself what would happen if I died and how would my wife handle it? Um, and then the rest of it, the story part, I didn't think that had anything to do with him, but I just felt like the germ. So I kind of hit that one on the head. Um, cause you can kind of tell he put himself in there. He didn't, it's not like his autobiography or anything, but he did put himself in there and it's, um, it's interesting. Um, but I'm going to tell you something, what ruined the book for me, I'm just going to go ahead and, and get to it. Um, was that this weird language between Scott and Lacey, this Ramalanga, Lama Ding Dong, um, smucking and just this weird, like bull, this just weird language. And I know everybody has like a fake language that they create in their marriage that only means something to them, things that are only mean something to them, you know, as like an inside joke. But I'm gonna tell you the reason why this podcast is named Kiss Me Fat Boy is because of an inside joke in my between me and my sisters over the years. We joked about it and joked about it based on that scene with John Ritter. And it's just so funny, you know? And then, you know, Mike had that you're not Jonesy thing. So between those two, um, you know, he had that with his friends. So I'm just saying we all have little um, Stephen King jokes. So that's one reason why we all decided to, you know, a lot of them will participate with me on this podcast because of that. But, um, yeah, it's just been kind of like I could not get over this language, this this smuck, everything was smuck. Like you don't even say the word, the F word, it replaced. You don't even say it as much as she was saying it. It was just annoying, and hearing it in the actress's voice, making it syrupy on her tongue, I just thought, ugh, it just got on my nerves really bad, and I just tripped over the language so much that I could barely enjoy the book. And I didn't really like the book, but um, I think I might like the uh, series because I just want to believe that um, they're going to take all the Ramalama ding-dongs out and the... uh, you know, make it more pre- presented. And plus, I'm excited to see what Booyah Moon looks like. Okay, so let's start with the story. Um, it's kind of extremely drawn out with this whole Lacey's going through. She has, um, it's been two years, and she has still not gone through uh, Scott's papers, unpublished works and, and whatnot. Um, she hasn't even gone through the stuff he had, period, in his study. And they lived, um, I think they lived in Maine, and they, uh, he had a house, and then he had, they had a house, and then he had this barn converted to his studio, 
It has like a library upstairs and everything like that. And she never went in there very much. It was his place. And um, I'm not saying she wasn't a part of it, but it was like that was his space. So when he died, she just didn't go in there. And she finally, so it just starts in the middle of the story, uh, picking up where she's been putting it off. And everybody's kind of pushing her. There's colleges and people wanting to get their hands on his unpublished works, possibly, and create you know, some posthumous uh, releases. There's probably, you know, there's agents, there's lawyers, there's probably all these people breathing down her neck. And she's just in too deep in grief because Scott was all she had. Um, They did not have children, and it was because they could not have children based on Scott telling her that um, insanity had run through his family. So if she wanted to marry him, he told her up front, if she wanted to marry him, he she would have to know that they could not have kids together. And if she wants that, that would be fine, but he, they couldn't be together. So this whole book is set up like in the present. She is going through his stuff. Her sister Amanda's with her. Her sister Amanda's, um has some mental illness issues, and she's a cutter. So that's a big trigger warning. Um, there's a lot of talk of self-mutilation and physical violence and... Um, murder so just know that that that's this is a big trigger warning so anyway um yeah and child abuse and all that kind of stuff okay not essay just child abuse but there is some weird essay stuff against adults so we'll get into all that um anyway so Lacey is going through all his things and she's continually having flashbacks which is hard to read that but technically, that's what you do all the time. You're walking around, you see a picture. Um, you see, it's real. It's so quick. It's like seconds. But you know, when you're running it out, it does stretch it out longer. So anyway, she has been her her um, sister Amanda is helping her, and she points out like these are the things that sh- that show you. Like these are the magazines that feature you in the picture or whatever, and these and then these are the ones. Uh, that actually make you look good, and these are the ones that make you look bad. Just things like that, you know, like pictures. Or So the theme really is is that she's um, in the background. She's his rock that holds him anchored to this world, and we'll find that more and more in his reason for living because he didn't want to live. He had such a horrible childhood. And um, anyway, so... He conquered life and made it through life because of her. And she was his everything. She had never, she was his first and only lover. She had to teach him how to even be physically intimate with somebody. He was just completely shut down. Um, he'd grown up since a pretty young age in the, through foster homes and stuff like that because his um, tragic story. So I will, now it, what it does is basically it starts out with all these flashbacks and then something happens where she's, forced to uh, do something against her will with these papers by a crazy fan. But she's continuously having these flashbacks. And it's hard to uh, go through the story and tell you the way it happens because it doesn't make sense because I'm not Stephen King. I cannot write this or speak this the way um, it it would sound like it makes sense. So I'm just going to chronologically tell you the story, okay? And, of course, you better have read this or you're going to get spoiled. And uh, all the trigger warnings still apply. So Lacey um, met Scott when she was younger. 
they ran into each other somewhere random. I can't remember exactly where, but they started dating. And in the beginning, um, he kind of effed up and got drunk or something and was late to the because he was super nervous. And um, she didn't want anything to do with him. I think they met in college. And she didn't want anything to do with him. So he gets, um, he cuts through the gar- like a garden house or like a greenhouse. He cuts, he punches his hand through that glass and he cuts his hand and it's bleeding and she says you know this is a bull i'm offering this blood bull to you and she didn't know uh what anything about that meant and she did not um and she didn't understand him but something about it uh i don't know just it touched her you know and so she um um he calls those blood bulls like a letting of blood um, they, it's something from his childhood, okay, which I'll go to pretty quickly, because I'm trying to be chronological about this the most I can, so, um, the big reveal at the end is his childhood, like, what exactly happened, but I'm going to go ahead and just tell you chronologically, which I keep saying that, and I do apologize, um, so, she meets him, they have that kind of, like, weird moment where he offers her this blood bowl, it freaks her out, but something about him she just fell in love with him they slowly um you know got together and everything well they're lovers they've been together they're they're stuck in some place in the snow a blizzard like an uncharacteristically strong blizzard blows in while they're um off on a weekend together and they're not married yet and so he's going to propose to her and they find this little spot under a willow tree, which I thought was magical sounding as it was. And because it was covered in ice and snow, it kind of created like an igloo almost. And it was warm in the middle because the snow fell so quickly. And um, they have a little picnic under there and they enjoy themselves. And he basically tells her, "You, I want to marry you, but I need you to understand this thing about I can I have children there's not, it's not a physical problem or a doctor problem. It is everybody in my family is two types of crazy. Either they're crazy and they have to, you know, they have these little fits like they're psychotic or they are catatonic. That's it. That's it. And he said the way they got their way, they relieved that was getting rid of the, I forgot that what they called it. The, it's kind of like the funky gunky or something like that some weird weird country way of saying the ickiness or the the bad juju so they um they did that through cutting and bloodletting that was their family uh, way of doing it so he doesn't get real deep into it he just says i need you to uh understand this and you can you know i will accept your answer but she just decides she wants them so she um and she never regrets not having children but she and she you know becomes all in and she he is her whole world and um, that's very hard to hear for some of the listeners who have somebody be their whole world and they lose them so um, they but at the very end of the proposal moment or whatever the light, the light changed around the tree and it got really warm and she could smell fragrant um, smells that she didn't understand and that was like her first time transporting to Booyah Moon with uh, Scott without realizing it. That was like the first indication. And um, 
anyway, over the years, she starts going with him to Bullion Moon and everything, and she, she knows about it. The question that Stephen King poses that is not answered in the book or the show, which I haven't seen the show yet, um, he said that there's no answer if Bullion Moon was created by Scott or if it already existed and he found it. Okay, so that is kind of what I want to talk about because I do have an opinion on it. I think there's enough hints to go either way, but there's a stronger hint for me to go in the direction that Bullion Moon existed and Scott found it. Um, he talks about, Stephen King talks about at the end in his interview that, that there's a great pool that you drink out of, and that's where Scott um, goes to get healed because he keeps saying us family people, our family are quick healers. But what it is is they go to this this pool, they dip their uh, damaged body part or whatever, like you cut his hand, you dip it in there, and it heals up quicker. So, um, But that is also the pool where you drink from. So Stephen King was saying that, all writers and creators of such the arts all drink from this same pool. And he felt very inspired by that concept of the pool. Um, I, as a writer, feel like I pull from the ether. And I know that this sounds to me, it's like the opposite of a pool. It's almost like I'm the bottom of a fish tank and everything's floating above me. And I just reach out and grab the idea. The idea already exists. If you're a writer, I think you would understand this. It already exists. If I don't grab it, someone else will grab it. And I feel like this is the same thing for inventions, um, for songs, from, for books, for poems, for art, like painting and drawing and sculpture and all kinds of different types of art. Um, I think that, you know, video games, everything, I think it's floating out there and somebody just has to grab it. And so I feel like that they already exist. You just find them. So my thought is a lot of, like, a really good writer that gets good success is actually doing their craft. I feel like almost like they're almost like third eye is, like, activated or they're a little psychic or something. I know that somebody would say that the writers of The Simpsons <laughs> is psychic because all that, the jokes about, um, about The Simpsons predicting the future is kind of funny. But anyway, so getting back to the story, um, so... Scott grew up with a, his head of brother. Uh, his mother was either dead or gone. And he had a father, and his father was kind of like a real rednecky type, blue-collar worker. I think he worked at the old company nearby. His brother was older. He would cut their arms and make them bleed out to get rid of the unky-gunky or whatever they called it. As that, they do that, he would hurt the other one if the, he thought the one was bad, he'd hurt the other child, and vice versa. His dad would have these spells where he's psychotic and attacking the children, dangerous and physically abusive, like cutting them, because he said he had to let out that blood to get that bad juju out. I think that that is, I don't understand that, but I, I mean, I've heard people who cut say that, it releases whatever is going on in them. So I think that that is a real concept uh, that people, it's like a way of saying it, but it's similar to the way other people have artic articulated it in the past um, to me and through research I've seen. And <clears throat> so they basically go through this bloodletting all the time. And um, dad was really rough and he hurt them pretty bad. This one time, 
Um, it started for Scott since he was like, the first memory is his dad abusing his brother when he was three. His brother was like six. Anyway, over time, dad's abusive. He's horrible. But they discover that they can go to this Booyah Moon place. And in this Booyah Moon place, they can... They found basically it's during the day, it's paradise, except for the fairy forest or whatever. It's dark and scary there, but it's just like a paradise place. You can just be there. You go dip yourself in the pool, get those those wounds healed. And um, you had to be there in the day. You did not go at night because at night it changed from um, sweet and healing to poison. The smells, everything changed. And uh, that's important. Because something does happen, you know. His brother ended up becoming crazy and in, in a psychotic episode. Of course, the dad is saying something's inside of him. And they lock him in the basement. And he tries to kill Scott. And the dad has to kill him to save Scott. And it just it upset Scott so much. And he took him to Bullion Moon and he buried him there. That was like a very hard thing for him, you know. And his and so it was a little while later, and his dad was just crazy, and he tried to kill Scott um, with a pickaxe, and Scott hurt, knew, he could tell by the way he walked, and if he called him Scooter, he knew he was in trouble. That's the that was the bad thing speaking, calling him Scooter. Basically, he had to run from his dad, and then he. Ended up killing him to save his own life, which that's the big secret in the end. He wanted to drag him to Bullion Moon and bury him next to his brother, but he couldn't because he was anchored to this world because he was just, he was something different about him. So he ended up taking his body and throwing it down a well. I guess it was a dry well. And he said his dad's body's still there to that day. And he ended up um, going to child welfare and telling them, telling him that. Like his dad ran off, his dad and brother ran off and left him alone. That way he didn't have to explain anything else. And um, his dad had actually told him to take this money and go get out of here. But Scott didn't do it immediately. And that by that night, dad ripped up all the money pretty much and in a fit of rage and broke a bunch of dishes and just crazy stuff. Did things that wouldn't so out of, out of character for him. Well, anyway, so... That's what happened with his father, and that was he, she. He had written that in his diary and hid that in um, Bullion Moon, which she finds at the end. So I just want to explain that's the background, okay? So Scott and Lisa get together. They're married. He starts releasing all these books, and and um, you know, he just basically has kind of like a basically a Stephen King career, <laughs> you know, books, movies, miniseries, um, articles, and Esquire. You know, this, the works. Um, I think he might be a little bit more sophisticated than Stephen King, but I don't, like, his writing might not be, I don't know if it's, like, horror-based as much, but, um, there's a lot of movies and stuff made on it, so I'm not sure. I'm just thinking maybe he's, like, a Stephen King. When he is younger, she's remembering all these flashbacks, so when he was younger and they were going through the career, she went everywhere with him, but one day they went to... Uh, Tennessee, and they he did some kind of groundbreaking ceremony and did a bunch of things. Well, a um, crazy man that was that Stephen King basically said was like 
the guy who killed John Lennon, was the inspiration for this character. Um, he comes up and he's murmuring words from one of the books. And the books is one of the books that Lacey doesn't like. And she didn't like it so much she never watched the movie about it or anything. He's murmuring and she notices him. It's, um, and he pulls the gun, a gun out and he shoots Scott in the lung. And then he starts, and then he aims for his heart, I think. Like he's just, he was very systematic about it. Like he knew what he was doing. And so, um, he, but she had this golden spade or silver spade that they'd given him. It was going to be ceremonial, and he was going to get to keep it for digging the first um, symbolic dirt, you know, that they had. And so she she was holding that after he was done with it. So she took it, and she uh, basically whacked that guy. You know, she saved Scott's life. He ends up in the hospital. They don't know why, because this is before it's ever revealed about Bullion Moon, but they don't know why, but Scott's a strangely quick healer, so he leaves. He leaves, and the thing is, that I was wondering at first, is does he spiritually go like astral, or does he actually physically leave? But it's definitely physical. Um, it's very much fleshed out in the book that it's a physical um, way of leaving, and maybe you leave behind your necklace. It's just random, you know? And it's, it's kind of like the Langoliers in a way. But anyway, so he goes off to this William Moon while he's in the hospital and gets the dip in the pot in the pool or whatever and uh, drinks it or you know and anyway so that's just the implication they don't talk about him specifically doing it that time but anyway so he goes on with his life they have all these memories and um so the guy that tried to uh, assassinate him goes to a mental institution he's committed because he's crazy and she wishes she had killed him, is what she says. But it turns out that in the end, um, it's like that the long assassination, you know, because he ends up pushing another person who was also committed there to become obsessed with Scott's work. And that person shows up right away in the um, present amidst all these flashbacks she's having. And um, so that person shows up, and he's and he basically says, "You need to give the man, the last man from the college, the real pushy guy that she had just dealt with, um, telling him she wasn't ready. She's not giving him anything yet." He basically calls her, you know, with a country, real country accent, saying that you need to give that man what he wants, um, and I'll check with him, make sure that he know that he gets it. And uh, if you don't do it, then bad things are going to happen. I'm going to hurt you in places that the boys don't touch or something like that. Boys aren't allowed to touch or whatever. Some, just a real horrible threat. And, uh, of course, she's so used to the crazies by then. She doesn't, you know, she calls the police, but they're kind of like, well, we'll put a car around. You know, he's just keep your doors locked, blah, blah, blah. And so um, they're not really too worried about it. Because she's in a small town and they don't have the resources. Um, anyway, she could have hired private uh, security. She could have done so much more, being rich and everything. But she was just too deep in her grief to focus. And at the same time that this is going on, her sister Amanda, who was also a cutter, um, that they keep an eye on and she keeps her in a house nearby. And Scott really connected to her because of the whole cutting thing. Um, she starts going into an episode uh, um, of self-harm because of the uh, fact that her old boyfriend got married and she and he came to town and rubbed it in her face and 
So she's has she's just bleeding everywhere, cutting herself. They can't even. They took all the things out that could, you know, possibly hurt her. The older sister comes in to watch over her, and she's like, I went to the bathroom, and she broke the, the teacup and cut herself. And so it's just like this weird thing, you know, she's just crazy. So they end up having to put her in a, in a facility, so that's going on. She's not exactly present in mind, you know, and she's looking through, and she's trying to figure out what would be, you know, something that this guy would want specifically. She can't figure it out. There's something. And then she put, he ends up killing a, a cat that wasn't even hers and putting it in her mailbox saying he wouldn't listen to me. He's acting like really plot. It's like evil plot. And he's like, the next time I'm going to do something worse and it's not going to be good for you. And so she calls the person at the university that this guy s- seems to have, you know, been inspired by, and she asks him, like, can you stop, call off your guard, I can't believe you're doing this, how unprofessional, what's wrong with you, and the guy says, I'm not affiliated with him, and I have no way of getting in touch with him, I've been emailing him to leave you alone, when you first uh, contacted me, I think they have a couple conversations, and he's like, the emails are bouncing back, so I have no way to even contact him to let him know one thing or the other, and I don't have a phone number, and this guy's transient, you know, basically. And they don't even have a real name. It's just all crazy. So she's just kind of screwed at this point. Well, the guy shows up again, and he can go through all the locks. She's locked everything. He breaks in everything. You know, it's just crazy. Well, he comes in, and uh, he uh, lock, He t- He basically uh, tortures her. He r- handcuffs her. She faints because she's going through, like, a lot of weirdness with her grief. And um, he carries her upstairs, chains her to a radiator or something with the handcuffs, and then he tortures her, and he does really bad things to her. And so she ends up going to Bullion Moon and to heal her wounds, but she just can't understand, you know. she's It's just too much, you know. And so he leaves, and he's like, you got until 8 o'clock tomorrow. To give whatever you want. Because she told him, it's like, take whatever you want. And he's like, I don't want the things you give me. I know there's something secret. Like, he feel like there's a hidden special um, book that's like some kind of holy grail book. And she can't figure out what she, he wants. She's like, you take everything you want. Go upstairs and get everything now. You know, when he first got there. And then she passed out and he started doing things to her. And he's like, anyway, so she just doesn't. And her sister Amanda, um, you know, they end up getting her out. And I don't know why she says I need her to be with me to help me with this situation. And um, she needs to figure out what's going on and trying to find a way to get help. She doesn't know how to call this guy off. She has the cops who, um, they're around, but they're also, there was like a storm or something. They had to give attention to that. So they locked up where they're at, but she still he still breaks in again, and he's going to kill them. But she had gotten she just to backtrack. Uh, Amanda was in that mental institution, and she had to go to Booyah Moon and get a, um, when after she was injured by this guy to get healing. And she took the drinks out of the water. She could still taste the sweet water in her mouth, so she could put her mouth on her sister's because her sister was like in a catatonic state. So she put the mouth full of water and manifested when she needed it 
into her sister's mouth, and they were transported, and she was in Booyah Moon looking at a boat being in a trance. And she looked around, and there was a lot of people wrapped up in shroud-looking things. You couldn't tell if they're human or not. And um, it was kind of creepy, and it kind of reminded me of, just reminded me of my book, The In-Between, which, by the way, that is, No One Wants to Buy My Book is my sister podcast with this, and I'm reading through my um, self-published The In-Between book. It just reminds me of that. But anyway, I thought it was a really great visual. And the fact that all these people are sitting around and doing stuff, that's an indication that this place exists and that Scott didn't create it. Because what is he going to do, create it and put a bunch of fake people there? I don't think so. And I don't think he would, even though there was badness in his life, I don't think he would create the badness that existed there. So she uh, talks to her sister, and she she pulls her out of it. And it's really hard. She has to figure out what to say, you know. And so finally she gets her out of it, and she comes back to, she's basically, her catatonic stage was, like, she was like in Boyumin, basically. And she had to pull her back in, you know. Well, anyway, so she pulls her back to Earth, and they're back, and she's better, and she's more alert and everything, you know. So she's with her when he comes back. And so he goes after them, and they're both fighting him off, you know. And eventually, she ends up pulling him and and Amanda into Boya Moon, and he's chasing them. It's like he doesn't even care because he's crazy. He's just like, yeah, anyway. And he's chasing them. She had already called him out saying, yeah, I know you, the, you're crazy. You're just, you know, you're just an idiot. My husband's books are just books. They are not some spiritual meaning. You're just like every other person. We made fun of people like you. And she was just trying to get him riled up. So he would chase her. He was, you know, so that's how she figured out that he met that guy. And the mental institution, so she's like, I know you're crazy and all this stuff. Well, anyway, so they're running through, and then they're running away from them, and then it's night, and you're not supposed to go to blow your moon at night. Bad things happen. Of course, all the smells are bad. What well, used to smell like fragrant almost smells like noxious fumes, almost smells like poison. Everything looks scary. Everything looks like poisonous and dangerous to the touch. And um, he ends up, they end up going. She goes through the fairy forest, and she hears the laughing of those laughers or whatever they're called. And then he ends up getting killed by this huge beast that um, inhabits those woods. So they're free of him. Now, she goes, you know, they go back and they're just free. And so I guess the monster ate him. There's no evidence left. I don't know. You know, it was just weird because I was, um, at the end, I was having a hard time uh, focusing on it. Um, so if I got the ending not perfect, I know that they fought with him um, and ran and everything. But anyway, so that's, they get rid of him. Uh, he gets killed in Bullion Moon. They go back, everything, and, you know, she comes back. And, oh, he had not vision goggles, by the way. And when he came through to Bullion Moon, the glasses were in the goggles were missing because he had turned off the phone and then the lights and everything. So bad guys, uh, you know, gone, crisis averted, and of course the way that Scott had died, and I wait, I leave this towards the end because obviously this isn't purely chronological, but in that nighttime, um, everything's noxious, everything's poisonous. He ends up contracting some crazy disease that they do not 
it does not register on any they cannot figure out where the bacteria came from it's completely foreign it's almost like it's from another planet so he'd gotten somehow contaminated at bullion moon and she was saying it could have been a speck of dirt under his fingernail it could have been the smallest little thing that got him because you know at night it, everything's poisonous so he contracted like basically like some kind of crazy like pneumonia like thing which is a nod to how Stephen King was inspired to this and she went upstairs and he was like in a plague unit and they basically said goodbye and then he died you know and, and that's you know how he passed so Booyah Moon saved him and then it killed him so that's why I think that definitely wasn't his creation. It was it's definitely its own thing. She um, kept going back like she wasn't able to control it. And finally, she was able to get grounded again because he had left a note in that diary saying, use the Afghan, use the Afghan to ground you. And she was able to use it. And that kept her from going back and forth in and out of consciousness or going in, all of a sudden she's in bullion moon and stuff like that. Now, she had talked about this, the scenery at the night when they were running from the man. And, you know, Scott had also gone when he was young one time at night. And when he was running from his dad and everything, and he was very scared. But he it saved him, you know, from getting killed by that pickaxe. And the thing that makes me really believe that this is actually connected to his other stories in the universe and that this is a real place not created by Scott but it, that Scott stumbled onto with his brother was that um, when she went there at night she saw these globes of light she called them like balloons light like balloons that uh, glowed in the dark, and I thought, man, that's like Pennywise, that's like the dead lights, because, you know, why did he choose for balloons, right? This is based off of something. Hell, this could have even been, like, the place that Pennywise came from or has traveled through. So I just thought that was really interesting, that Bullion Moon is kind of like this place. It's Time's different there, but it's still a place. Um, and there's no I'm disputing this a place, but... This, to me, goes to this place existed, Scott found it, versus he created it. Um, anyway, so I would just, I really have to say I would not recommend you read this book unless you enjoy things like the word smuck 150 times in a paragraph um, and the use of these. Now, Stephen King said he really... This is one of his favorite books. He can't say it's the number one, but he really loved it. He dedicated it to his wife. But honestly, it was just like full of um, these expressions, you know, that you use in daily life. And Stephen King always loves to use these expressions, like happy crappy. You know, he used that in The Stand, and I think he also used it in, oh, I think it was in maybe either Cujo or... Um, needful things it's just like he uses these weird expressions that are old time i think it's his way of preserving that they exist but it's just it was just too much like this character she was just like okay so you know he bought the farm he bit the dust he i'm just giving an example like of basically saying instead of saying it he died she doesn't say it one way she says it five different ways 
and it's just like a listing of these stupid expressions and it's like all throughout the book and I just hated it um you know I don't mind if he uses that stuff but it was like distracting you know he loves those little expressions that's one of his trademarks and the n-word did not appear in this one yay Stephen King so yeah I'm just like found the wording of this book was what ruined it for me the story was kind of meh could have been more than it was and you know it was what it was but I mean I felt I could fall asleep um and wake up two hours later and like maybe five minutes had transpired it was really drug out with all this stuff but yeah so I'm glad I read it I'm really looking forward to the uh, show. Hopefully I can watch it soon with my boyfriend Clive Owen in there. But um, anyway, hopefully it's not hard to watch because sometimes these things are hard to watch. But uh, yeah, I'm glad I read it, but I wouldn't recommend you read it unless you can stand all the... I mean, it's like every paragraph is like Ramalama Ding Dong and Bit the, far, you know, bit the Dust, Bought the Farm sold his cow, whatever, just stuff you'd never even heard of, you know, dropped his load, uh, dropped the kids off at the pool. I mean, it's just like, he they didn't say that, but it was just like ridiculous to me, okay? So, anyway, well, that's my review. That's my honest review of Lissy's story, and um, thanks for listening to my podcast. Have a great day. Bye. Hey guys, I'm so excited to announce that I finally got my uh, crapola together and I'm starting to do my other podcast, which is called No One Wants to Read My Book. This will be me reading basically one of my unpublished or self-published books. So check it out and see why no one wants to read my books, okay? Thanks, bye.